Well, happy Easter, everybody. And uh, we have the, the Easter joy continues throughout the entire season of Easter as we prepare for Ascension Thursday and Pentecost Sunday. And uh, we something very interesting takes place at this time for the Easter season. The first reading from the Old Testament is replaced by the book of Acts. That's, that's very unique. The first reading in our lectionary is supposed to be from the Old Testament. We're supposed to have an Old Testament portion and a New Testament portion, so you kind of get both Testaments and things are balanced out. Uh, but we have for the season of Easter an exception to that rule. And we have in place of the Old Testament reading the book of Acts. And we might want to ask ourselves, why is it after we've just celebrated the resurrection of Christ, are we listening to the book of Acts? Why is Acts such a focus? Well, I think one of the reasons, uh, commonsensically, is that we're preparing for Pentecost now. Okay, We're looking forward to Pentecost. And the story of Pentecost is related in the book of Acts. But probably at a more fundamental level, and of course related to that, is the fact that the, the resurrection brought into the world a grace that needed to be distributed throughout the entire world on the part of Christians. Christians and the disciples of Jesus needed to be the ones to spread the grace of the resurrection throughout the world. And so, in a certain sense, Jesus has done his job. Now he's going to ascend to the Father. And uh, going far away, uh, he actually comes near to us in the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that Christians are enabled to testify and to be witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ throughout the world. So now the, the ball is passed to our side of the court, so to speak. Jesus has done his, his, uh, his job on Good Friday and on Easter Sunday, and now uh, it's our job to take the good news of the, of the resurrection and to bring it to the world. And we do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I think it's appropriate, and I think this is the reason why we, the church places before us the book of Acts, because the Acts of the Apostles is uh, a recounting of the church and the church's labors um, under the influence and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. One of the ways that the grace of the resurrection comes to us as Christians and one of the ways that we spread it to the world is through the sacraments, of course. And in the book of Acts today, we see uh, the sacrament, especially of baptism. Peter says to the crowd to whom he's preaching, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so maybe just a little catechesis on what that means. Um, repent and be baptized. Now we had, the, we had a great opportunity at the Easter Vigil. We, we baptized uh, our catechumen, Chelsea Carr, and uh, this is another element or theme of the, of the Easter season is baptism. Now, baptism for the adult imparts grace to the soul to the extent that the person is truly repentant or is truly uh, contrite. So it's, it's very interesting and important to note that God will dwell in our hearts to the extent that we have true contrition. And there's all different degrees of, of contrition. You can have contrition that's a little bit superficial and then you can have really, really deep contrition. And God's indwelling 
will correspond to the depth of that contrition that we have. And that's true, especially for the adult who's baptized. Obviously, the infant, you know, doesn't have contrition and can't act in that sense. They haven't even sinned. <laughs> but I mean, their, their mind, obviously, and their faculties haven't developed yet to be able to have that. So the Holy Spirit dwells in them in a certain standard way and then moves deeper into their life to the extent that as they get older, they're, they exercise the virtues of faith, hope, charity, uh, and contrition if in case they do sin, so forth and so on. Um, but it's important to know that our baptism is kind of personalized, it's individualized according to everybody's exercise of the virtues. Okay? And uh, consequently, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There's, there's degrees of intensity in a certain sense in which God is close to us. Now, you know, one question that might be asked, I think it's helpful to think about, is this, is that under the Old Testament, you know, what's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament when it comes to the Holy Spirit? In the Old Testament, those who were in the grace of God, God dwelt in them, okay, just as much as he did for those of us in the New Testament era. So why, though, in the book of Acts, is there such an emphasis on the Holy Spirit and and almost in contrast to the Old Testament? Why is the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, indicative of the resurrection of Christianity of the New Testament era? In what sense is it? And I... I don't know exactly, um, this is, I'm going to give you a response, it's going to be generally correct, okay, but don't quote me word for word. I would say probably three factors. On the one hand, the Holy Spirit for the Christian, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament era, is, is, a, is a Trinitarian reality. St. Paul says something very beautiful in the book of Romans. He says, the Spirit of the Son dwells in our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. The Spirit, the Son, Father. So we, it's, a, it's got a Trinitarian dimension to it that the Old Testament people did not have. They didn't understand that they were not uh, the Son had not been incarnate, and so they didn't have that kind of revelation. We have that revelation. We have the relationship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit dwelling within us as Christians in the New Testament era. That's a very beautiful and special thing. Uh, secondly. Um, I would say that there is a dimension, an experiential dimension to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that people in the Old Testament did not have. So for Christians, to the degree that we exercise the virtues and really follow Christ is the, is the degree to which we're able to, as St. Paul says, it says, the Spirit of the Son is in our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. We have not received a spirit of slavery, but a spirit of freedom. And there is an experiential dimension where we, we really come into a, a sense that God is with us. So there's an experiential dimension to the Holy Spirit that the Old Testament people did not uh, necessarily have. Of course, the prophets did. But in the New Testament, it's as if all Christians are prophets, or at least called to be prophets. And then third, and now this one is this one's definitely uh, you know really a, a certain thing, is the grace of confirmation. Okay, the grace of confirmation is especially um, indicative of the New Testament era. And so when we read in the book of Acts, Peter saying, repent, be baptized, you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Um, it was understood that along with baptism goes confirmation. And we did that at this Easter vigil. We, we took her catechumen, we baptized her, and we confirmed her minutes after her baptism. And that was standard practice from apostolic times on confirm almost immediately after they were baptized. Now, the grace of confirmation is the grace of Pentecost. 
And it enables us to be witnesses to Jesus' resurrection throughout the whole world. It's very important for us to know that. And the Second Vatican Council really put a a re-emphasis on this fact that Christians are called to uh, Christian perfection and to be witnesses to the gospel throughout the world. So it's not just the, the, the religious and the priests, but it's all members of the church are called to witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we do that through the sacrament of confirmation. Confirmation enables us to do that. And uh, what uh, really especially empowers us this Easter season uh, to be witnesses to the resurrection is the joy of Easter. There's nothing that testifies more powerfully to Jesus Christ than joy. And as I say a lot, there's a big difference between joy and pleasure. Okay? Sin can have its pleasures. You know, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about the fleeting pleasures of sin. Pleasure is one thing, but joy is something else. We could be suffering persecution, we could be going through terrible trials, and we can still have joy, but we can't have pleasure, all right? But we can still have joy. Joy is a spiritual reality, and when non-believers see the joy of Christians, they say, wow, there's some kind of reality going on here, and I want that. And so, my brothers and sisters, this Easter season, it's especially a reminder to let the grace of the Holy Spirit be a source of joy for us so that we might witness to the resurrection throughout the world.